If you've never made someone redundant, you're one of the lucky ones. It is not easy and the implications are far-reaching, not just on the individual but on your business and culture. With careful communication planning, breaking bad news will lower the risk of breaking anything or anyone else. Chris Grant is the CEO of ASPL Group. It's a management consulting training and recruitment company that works very closely with government agencies and large enterprises. Helping leaders navigate the redundancy process is something Chris has extensive experience in, and according to her, it never gets easy. Oprah, Steve Jobs, Andrew Denton, Arne Doe. To me, these guys are masters of communication. The rest of us, well, mainly you, because I'm a pro, fumble our way through. Comical examines this funny little thing called communication that can either tear us down or make us sore. Join me, I'm an amateur comedian and a communication expert. Join me and listen, learn and laugh through the experiences of my very talented guests. All right, thank you so much, Chris, for joining. Thank you, Marie, for having me. I'm very excited to have a chat to you. Likewise. Now, you have been in the people business for quite some time now, 15 years and counting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, people uh, absolutely fascinate me and um, have learned a lot over the last 15 years. I can imagine you've broken a lot of bad news to people over the last 15 years. Yeah, look, unfortunately, at times I have and it never gets easier. Never? No, look, I think you kind of learn from what works and what doesn't work. And it really depends on the type of news you're breaking, to be honest. Like, obviously, having a redundancy is completely different to, for example, a performance issue or a performance conversation. So I always think that if it's performance-based, you kind of go, generally, as long as you've allowed for the person to be successful, then you've got to absolutely you know, stick to your guns and be a little bit courageous about the decisions you've made. If it's a redundancy, obviously, you really have to really heighten your EQ and really, you know, hone in your empathy skills. It's never easy. Never easy, I can imagine. Let's talk about the redundancy conversation because I think given COVID, I'm sure that was a conversation many people had to have. But I also did question, and I'd love your opinion on this, whether it would be easier in some regards to have that conversation because the reason was so well known and accepted. I don't think it's ever easier. And what's happened during the pandemic is that there's so many of your employees that have got additional pressures, mm. which means their reaction could be entirely different right. to pre-COVID. Can you give me an example? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of, especially females, a lot of females are under additional pressure, especially like working from home. You know, they're taking on the majority of the domestic duties, looking after their fur babies, kids, homeschooling. And so I think it's even more challenging for them to either deliver the news or be the recipient of the news. You know, people are under a lot more stress now than before. So how do you prepare for a conversation like that with somebody? I think that you really need to be factual about what you're discussing and you need to, from a redundancy perspective, you need to make sure that they have a support person. With them? Yeah, with them always. Oh, really? Okay. Is that a dead giveaway if you say to somebody, I want to have a chat with you, bring a support person? Is that something that, for me, that would make me feel quite anxious (laughs) in and of itself? 
Yes, it is a dead giveaway. <laughs> but unfortunately, <laughs> we have to do it by law. So, yes. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, you do from a HR perspective. <laughs> I hope there's certain people not listening to this podcast. Um, well, when you're talking about performance, you do with redundancy. It's always obviously easier if you prepare because so many people stumble over the whole conversation. You know, yeah. that whole fear of confrontation comes into the whole mm. play. So you have to be really clear with your comms and you have to prepare. Like a lot of, like it's the same as interviewing. A lot of people really struggle when they're talking about themselves, when they're talking about why the decisions they made. So yeah, you're right in one respect that obviously the pandemic has given a very specific reason, but you're still impacting people's lives. True. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I was actually talking to a customer just before this about, you know, they've made some round uh, redundancies and every single person had a different reaction. Even the people that were left behind go through a grieving process. So it's really quite interesting, the complexity of all of us. Yes. So you just said that there's a wide range of emotional reactions that come into play. How do you prepare for those? I mean, you might have a script and the comms are ready to go, but you might not be ready for a, a meltdown or, a, or or somebody getting quite aggressive. I mean, do those things happen from time to time? Absolutely, they happen. I think the truth to hear is not to take it personally. You've got heightened emotions and if you're delivering that bad news, you cannot take it personally. You have to get resilient to potentially every single person may react differently. And exactly what you said, you've got that whole emotion. You can get, you know, aggressive behavior. You can get complete meltdowns. I've always in the past always used psychologists as well. So a lot of corporates offer EAP, you know, employee assistant programs, which really help with the afterwards. So you've got to think through the whole process. Like it's not just delivering the news. You've got to think about privacy. You've got to think about your teams outside that are listening you know, and go, what is going on? You've got to then think about how you're going to exit them from the building, like all these kind of logistical challenges you have to be aware of. How do you exit them from the building? Well, you have to prepare for it because you don't know what people's reactions could potentially do. Look, sometimes you say you can work through it, but a lot of people find it very hard to work through a redundancy. You, know, you can work whatever, maybe four to six weeks, whatever your redundancy entitlements are, but it's very hard. Like you can't expect your employees to be engaged during that process. And you really have to think about, well, how can you support them post this once the news has kind of resonated a little bit with them, you know, whether that's through, you know, interview techniques, whether it's through your own network or within the organisational department yeah. looking at opportunities. Now, I can see that a lot of your clients are very large and quite corporate and very professional. In a business environment that's small to medium, I'm thinking of smaller clients that I've worked with that had to make redundancies and I can almost guarantee they didn't go through this process. What are the implications of not breaking bad news properly, both for the individual and for the business? I think obviously brand is, is key as well if you're not delivering it correctly the other challenge you'll have is that your current employees will disengage that's probably the greatest challenge you want your people to be as engaged as possible you've got to appreciate that whatever culture you set mm. you could completely uproot that if you're not delivering news effectively communication is key to all of this mm -hmm. 
whether you're at SME, like some of our government agencies are already like 200, mm. you know, 50. It's exactly the same. On a larger scale, obviously, the impact is potentially greater because obviously the news travels through the uh, grapevine very quickly. <laughs> so honestly, it needs to be very well planned and think about how you're going to communicate at all times. Now, timing is an interesting one because, as you mentioned, you've got to be aware and conscious of the wider team. Yeah. So at what point do you inform the wider team of an individual's redundancy? I would say almost immediately after. Or you get your leadership team into a room and just, just or oh, sometimes before, really depends on the circumstances. A lot of the time if it's your leadership team, they're probably aware of the challenges and the decisions that have to be made. And then you need to get consistent comms because culture, as I said, is, is everything. And as soon as you deliver that news, people will be talking. So it's managing that. So arranging the messaging and figuring out how you're going to position this and what it is you want to say, etc., really needs to be done before the redundancy is shared with the individual. Oh, 100%. Because you... You don't have a minute to waste, really, from the moment that individual is told. But how do you manage, for example, you mentioned you've got to set a meeting with the person and also tell them to bring along a support person. A support person. Now, at that moment... That's it. That's it. The word's out, right? (laughs) The word's out. They've told their mate who sits on the opposite desk and everyone's around the water cooler thinking, oh, my God, she's probably going to be made redundant and how dare they and et cetera. As a business, though, even though that is circulating, are you holding on the comms? you waiting for that timeline to play out in that kind of linear fashion or are you responding to the rumours? No, it's uh, all about timing when you have to send one of those emails to. And sometimes it could be like you have to do that for performance yeah. as well, right? So uh, the individual or the employee would think it would be one or the other, I imagine. And it's about setting a time. I can remember one of my mentors, years ago said to me Chris when you do this you cannot do it on a Friday afternoon you always have to do it on a Monday why I know his view was it's never great for culture and I kind of agree now and I never do ever do it on a Friday ever have a performance discussion because you want to finish on a positive note people always overthink you know we teach that ourselves like how do you start being conscious right so you cannot try if you deliver any sort of news on a Friday afternoon, they will be overthinking it the entire weekend. Yeah. And also you don't really have access to your team on a weekend. So they'd exactly. probably be ruminating and engaging in discussions, etc. in the absence of you. Absolutely. That's exactly what would happen. So I think, as I said, preparation is key. Is it bad to play a little bit of a mind game with people, right? So you would schedule a meeting and say, bring a support person, everyone starts spreading rumours and thinks, oh, my God, this person's going to be made redundant. But instead of making them redundant, you give them a random bonus and pay rise and celebrate how awesome they are (laughs) just so the team never cottons on. (laughs) I've never thought of doing that, but, yes, that's probably... Do you want to try it? You can go ahead and try it. (laughs) Oh, I would... Free of charge. (laughs) I would feel badly for the individual who... It probably is stressing <laughs> for that period of time about what was actually going to be communicated in that meeting. It is bizarre. Like sometimes I think our legislation sets us up, all of us, not just as leaders to be effective. As soon as you say you need to bring a support or you know, you're welcome to bring a support person, bam, 
they are well aware of the fact that you're about to have a more serious conversation. I've never offered anybody a support person. Very bad. I didn't even know it was a legal requirement and my husband's a lawyer, so he's in big trouble. <laughs> You'll have to say, say ask him, say, what's this legal requirement? <laughs> you know, I mean, there's ways you can get around it, but uh, fair work would be uh, really on to anyone that didn't offer that. Okay. Mental note. Yeah, and with a redundancy, you have to, say, for example, if you've got other opportunities going within your business, so they have the legal right to potentially go for those roles. So a lot of the times, especially in government, they'll make someone redundant rather than performance managing them. Easier, right? Is it easier to make someone redundant than to performance manage? No, I feel like it's a cop-out. Performance management is hard, right? It is hard. We all appreciate it's hard. Mm. But the sooner you have those conversations, the sooner you can gauge whether that person is going to be successful or not. You've got to give people the opportunity. Now, people are complex, right? A lot of what's come out of COVID is a lot of complexity with people's own personal issues that are coming into the workplace. So you have to work out where is your line here with all your employees from a performance perspective. Do you know what I mean? Like you want to maximize performance. And you need to start coming up and self-reflect with what's going to work for you or for your organisation. Yeah. If it's hard for one, imagine how hard it is for 200, 300, 400 people plus. Yeah, it's really, really challenging. And as I said, people are more complex. I can remember years ago when there was a trend whenever you performance managed anyone that they would claim bullying, right? And that's, you know, in public service, that's a real challenge for the leaders. And then there's that fear that comes in because it's quite a long process to performance manage. So, you know, they have fear that they're going to be looked upon as a leader that's not managing their staff effectively. So it's kind of a catch-22. So I always say to, you want to feel good about what you're doing yeah. in your work. So a lot of people that make the decision, for example, I'm going to go down the redundancy path rather than performance manage, I feel like then they kind of have regrets about not actually doing what is probably the right thing to do. What percentage of a workforce would typically need to be performance managed? Depending on the leader at the time, it could be anywhere <laughs> really? from, say it could be anywhere at least 20%. Wow. Maybe 30. Yeah. But it's really interesting as you kind of mature into a leadership role and, and, you know, as I said, we do a lot of teaching around leadership more so on how do you break those patterns so it's a neuroscience approach. But what's really interesting when you're growing up and you're going through, you know, leadership training or you're, you know, aspiring to be a leader, you kind of learn that, you know, you should look after your, you know, your top 10, 20% of high performance and mm. What happens in reality is you end up spending so much time on HR with your 10 to 20% of problem children. And the bit that's missing in all of this is the middle of this where you've got a workforce that is kind of on the fence, right? And it's about how can you bring them on the journey rather than focusing on either end of the spectrum. Because sometimes, and, you know, I say this even when I coach execs, it's okay if you're in a relationship that you cannot bring someone on the journey. You can't beat yourself up endlessly for something that is way outside your control, for example, if they're not you know, performing. Whereas we do invest a lot of time in those non-performance leaders and you kind of have to be really self-disciplined about it and also not, as I said, be conscious about it. Don't 
spent hours going overthinking the whole scenario. If you've allowed for someone to have an opportunity, if you've allowed for them to be successful, you can't make them be successful. Or you can't make them be more productive or whatever the challenge might be. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like that's a real learning as a leader. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, has this ever happened to you where you've had to break bad news that you didn't agree with or make someone redundant? Yeah. Yet you didn't agree with it? <laughs> yeah. You have? Yeah, I have. Okay, talk me through that. I absolutely just disagreed with some of the decisions on who was being made redundant. But in the end of the day, you've got to weigh up how much you're going to fight and how much is potentially market conditions or in this particular case, it was just a selection of people. And you just have to work out, well, sometimes you just absolutely have to do the right thing by the organisational department. That's it. Like you just can't get emotionally involved in it. And you may not agree, but ultimately you have to trust that in that case, and a little bit different now because I'd probably make this decision so obviously myself. But in that case, I had to ultimately trust my leader. Got you. How did you manage your own emotions through that process? <laughs> I wish I knew what I knew now, to be honest. <laughs> in hindsight, I, I just tried not to be emotional about it, to be honest. It is emotional whenever you're delivering bad news. And you have to appreciate it's not about yourself. It's about the person you're delivering the news to. Yeah. So you have to have quite strong EQ to recognise that. As I said, in hindsight, the amount of overthinking I probably did years ago, <laughs> I wish I knew what I do now, that it's an absolute waste of time. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Is it counterproductive as well in the moment when you're showing those emotions to the person that you're delivering the news to? Oh, absolutely, because you're just probably increasing the emotion from them. So removing your emotion or I mean look we all have to be authentic and have empathy but you have to realize it's about them a lot of leaders it becomes about them how they're feeling about the whole scenario where it's not right yeah I mean it's just natural because that's what they can obviously sense and feel because it's about themselves so you have to be very aware of your ego wow when you're breaking the news to the wider organization are they offered support I mean would it depend on the size yeah it would depend on the science too. But I think having those conversations, because as I said, a lot of the time, the employees that are left behind have to go through a grieving process. Because, you know, that's their co-workers and their colleagues. And, you know, no one wants to see that. Certainly from an internal comms perspective, when you're communicating with staff, one of the key things for them that we know is the first message they're looking for is, what about me? What's in this for me? What does this mean for me? Do you see signs of anxiety or people wondering whether, am I next? Oh, 100%. Under what circumstances did this occur? Are they, they're looking for that to kind of validate the security of their own position? Absolutely. 100%. It is about them. So they will be nervous. Their anxiety will be heightened. And the challenge is that your delivery or your optimising your workforce is going to go down. So it's all about timing. If you've made the decision and you're going ahead with it, it's about giving them as much confidence about the future that you possibly can, which is challenging in these times, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, I can imagine. Honestly, I really feel for some of the leaders that have been working with sizable workforces that have had to make some tough decisions. decisions. Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah. 
And I'd imagine the impact of those decisions would last for a while. Uh, depending on how it's been done, yeah. Delivered. Delivery is everything. <laughs> delivery Approach, is key. Approaching delivery is everything. So, yes, 100%. It, you know, there is a way to do it. And as I said, the more that you plan it and approach it in a way that makes you, you know, very, very honest and authentic, the more effective it will be. But you also have to appreciate that people will react completely differently to what you expect. And that's okay. Just have to be calm about the whole scenario. But what happens in a scenario where somebody's walking out of a meeting and they're actually quite literally distressed? I mean, is the idea to try and break news away from the rest of the team? Yeah. And try to isolate them from, okay. Well, it's just about privacy. Yeah, more than also anything. about privacy. Yeah. yeah. I think the challenging ones is when they get aggressive. Being emotional is also hard too. Any sort of emotion is going to be challenging for anyone. But like some people, as I said, choose to stay on for, you know, to work out their notice period for four weeks or whatever it may be in their contract. And that's hard too because they may get a delayed reaction which may come back later and, you know, they may be quite resentful to the whole thing. I mean, is it even possible that it can turn into something that's positive? I mean, is it cake and balloons on their way out or is that completely stupid? I always kind of refer, we're talking about a performance discussion, it's more so like having a breakup discussion and you kind of try and make it as positive as possible. I always say, you know, people don't come to work generally to be unsuccessful. The challenge is that a lot of people don't know what success looks like for them and they also really lack self-awareness. So I could be sitting here saying to you, you know, I think that there's some challenges with, your performance or are you okay, especially working from home, doing, you know, eight hours, will it suit you more to be flexible, anything that you kind of bring up. Most people automatically get quite defensive, right? That's their natural like Even if you're trying to be, you know, bring it up as soon as possible. So I think the sooner you bring it up, the better for everyone, including the individual. But again, if that person doesn't respond well to you giving them guidance, you can't force people to perform. So there's only so much as a leader that you can do. And I feel like a lot of leaders give themselves a really hard time about that. When I've had to have performance management conversations, I have tried to lean on humour to help kind of diffuse. <laughs> How did that work? Um, but honestly, for the most part, it actually hasn't worked too badly. Well done. And by Doing it, what I've tried to do is kind of just ease the conversation and say this is actually something that can happen and if we're open, we can work past it. And I think it's been for me more of a tool to lower the, um, you know, people put their guard up yeah. and get really defensive. Yeah. So I've tried to use humour to kind of get them to just drop the guard a little bit and, you know, put the defensiveness to the side. And I found for me that's worked better. My personality or my communication style is very direct. Yeah. Right? So the other alternative is I'm a direct person, for lack of a better swear (laughs) word for now, and actually it doesn't work well for me at all. What's the ideal, what's the optimum communication style in a scenario where you're performance managing someone? I don't think there is an optimum. As you said, that works for you. You've got to find out what works for you individually. Like I'm very much about, I'm very passionate and very optimistic. 
So I always use the style of you have to find your own passion and you have to think about what success looks like for you. So I'm trying to empower them even if I'm delivering news that they may not like because every single individual, as I said before, there is a few that don't, but most individuals want to be successful. They just don't know how to find that success. But if you try and script for someone else, for example, then it's going to come out like it's false. A lot of people do that, by the way. A lot of leaders stick to the script. That's why they start fumbling. So literally they write a script word for word on what they want to say? Yeah. No. And read it. It's like an interview. It's the same thing. And read it while they're reading it. But because it's not really their words or how they're delivering it, that's when it all starts to come and stop. That's scary stuff. It's really interesting. That's because they're so uncomfortable with the situation. Wow. That's why a lot of people end up or leaders go through leadership coaching, right, or emotional intelligence development or whatever it is to help overcome that. But I can also offer a comedy service if they'd prefer to use you. (laughs) (laughs) Look, you found what works for you. I know, right? (laughs) You've mentioned EQ, you've mentioned calm, you've spoken a little bit about mindfulness. And I'm going to tell you, as stereotypical as this may sound, they're not typically skills that I would equate to somebody in finance, which is where you came from. Yeah. Did you have all of these things before you moved over to to, um, people and training and consult? You did? Did, Was it natural or did you develop it? Tell me a bit about that. I always had a natural aptitude for people and doing a business degree I went into my first grad role was uh, with BHP which may say I think there was about five percent of female (laughs) I think there was only one or two female leaders at that time and look it was really really great foundational skills from a finance perspective but I wasn't in there for long like I moved straight into operational side of every business so as I said I would encourage anyone to do it And obviously, my personality is not like the typical finance person, but I naturally had an aptitude of how am I going to lead this workforce? And, you know, I was very young when I took my first C-level. I was only 32 with two young kids. And everyone goes, oh, how did you do that? I get asked that all the time, you know, with other leaders or even with some media. And I always say every decision I tried to make moving up and even now, I always think about what's best for the business rather than what's best for me. And I feel like as a leader, if you start doing that, yourself self-reflecting and you really think about that, which makes all these sort of breaking bad news more, it does make it easier if you take yourself out of sometimes the decision. Does that kind of make sense? It does, yeah. yeah. And finally, does gender play a role? Is it easier for men to do that or for women to do that? No, I don't think gender plays a part. <laughs> I think across the board, it's hard. It's uh, obviously, a lot of the times, uh, females have higher IQ. Unless you think about your emotions, they could be emotional as well. Men sometimes really struggle with showing vulnerability, but then females do as well. It's pretty, it's pretty on par, unfortunately. <laughs> I wish I could say it was one way or the other. We want the facts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The truth matters on Comical. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and I've learned a lot and I'm sure the people listening will learn a lot too. Oh, you're welcome. You take care of yourself. You too. Thank you. And that's Comical for this week. 
If you'd like to join the show, suggest a topic or ask me a question, hit me up on Instagram at Maria or Daggle or email me comicalpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. See ya.